There is no place I'd rather be than right here, right now. Not because I'm great, not because I know it all, but because I love God and His Word. Uh, it is my wife's birthday today and my oldest daughter's birthday today. So as soon as I am done with here, I am jamming to Denver Airport to try to make it home so I could tell them face-to-face, -face, happy birthday. If you were in my lesson yesterday, you probably said something to me this morning about my tie. So I figured, if you didn't want to listen to me yesterday because I didn't wear a tie, maybe you'll listen to me today because I'm wearing a tie. I know that makes Wayne happy. I love you too, Wayne. It's been a great pleasure to get to know you and Wheezy. It's interesting, as I have moved to uh, the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky, uh, the most common comment that was made to me or that has been made to me uh, while I've been here is, wow, it must be great to work with Dan Owen. And you've said that because you don't work with Dan Owen. <laughs> I wish he was going to be here this morning, but that's what he gets for not being here. No, in all reality, there are dynamics that sometimes you don't realize until you work with somebody. Now, it has been a pleasure and a blessing to me to have Dan as a mentor. But see, I want to lay some foundational work for you. When I went into my first work in Southern California, I knew it all. I was the guy, the man, and I had it all figured out. And I realized quickly that I wasn't, and I didn't. Then, not long after that, as Wayne had mentioned, I moved to Lander, Wyoming, where I was the only guy for miles, hundreds of miles, it seemed at times. I was the guy who did the bulletin during the week. I was the guy who made sure the lights were turned on and made sure there were men to lead prayer and say communion and to lead singing. I was the guy that worked with the youth, I was the guy who visited the sick in the hospital and coordinated events for our seniors. I was the guy who said, if we're going to have a potluck or a luncheon at the church building, I will plan it. I was the guy who said, if we're going to do a trunk or treat or some kind of fall festival, I was the guy to plan it. And of course, that didn't work out very long before I was burnt out. Before I realized real quickly that I couldn't do it all. Therefore, I found myself answering a phone call to the congregation there in Paducah, where I was offered an opportunity to work with a ministry team, a congregation who already had an established worship minister, had secretaries that could do the bulletin, had a youth minister, and a teaching minister, Dan Owen. And I thought at that moment, yes. It's an answer to prayer, an answer to a prayer that I had been praying to God. God, please help me to desire the work again. Because you see, when I was trying to do it all, I had no longer a desire for the work because I was burnt out. So I moved my family to Paducah, Kentucky. And before long, I realized the grass wasn't as greener on the other side as I thought it was. Because, you see, I had fallen into a rut of doing it myself. I didn't have to go and talk to another minister about planning an event. I just planned it. And the elders and I planned this event. And before long, a side of Dustin came out 
that I was very ashamed of. I try to be as transparent as I can when I preach. I do not want you to look at me as a preacher who has it all figured out, but a man who struggles trying to figure it out. A man who just tries to use the Word of God to help me to be the best I can. And going back to my lesson yesterday in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, to save souls. That I might win some preaching from the pulpit behind the cross. Allowing God's blood to cover me completely all the time in humility. But there was a side that came out when I showed up in Paducah, Kentucky. You see, what some of you don't know about me is, some of you do, I am extremely competitive. Amen. <laughs> we did. There's many times that we were in the racquetball court together, and that's why he had that louder sounding amen. And rightly so. And there is not certain things I'm not competitive in. I will have the cleanest car in the parking lot because I'm competitive. I will have this or I will have that or I will do that almost to the point of default, not almost, to a point of default. I don't care if I'm playing church league softball or volleyball in the gym or racquetball with a couple of guys from Bear Valley. I am competitive to the point of I will win. And it hasn't always brought out my best side. I've realized in my maturity, and I know I'm not completely there yet, but I long for it. I realize that I can't play church league softball anymore. It's not healthy for me or the other people on the field or the congregation in which I preach to. It's not a good showing when you get in a fight as a preacher over a bad call at a church league softball game. You laugh. It's a struggle, and it's hard. When I moved to Paducah, and my office was here, and Dan's office was here, every time I saw somebody go to Dan for a Bible study, that competitive side came out, and I said, why, are, why does he have the Bible study? You see, the church in Corinth struggled with the same thing. The church in Corinth struggles with so many different things. They struggle with divisions over its leaders in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. They struggled over immorality, which whether it was sexual immorality or whether it was other kinds of immoralities that were infiltrating the church. They struggled with idolatry and what to do with the meat that was offered up to idols. They struggled with divisions because of cliques or factions leading to taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner in chapter 11. But the church also struggled with the gifts that they were given and that allowing them to bring out a competitive side of them, labeling gifts greater than the other. Wesley Walker and Harold both did a great job of pointing out those gifts and how those gifts are all suited and given to us from God for a purpose. But listen to me, it is hard sometimes in the ministry when you're not the one doing all the baptizing, and I'm just being real with you. It's hard in the ministry when somebody goes across and passes your office to go have a Bible study with somebody else when you feel you're perfectly capable of doing it your own. It's hard when you meet in places like this with preachers from all over the United States, and you know what they ask, how they gauge our success in the church today? How big is your congregation? They're not asking how big the building is. They're wanting to know how many members you have because they're trying to measure up. 
We have to stop that. That's going to cause and continue to cause divisions in our churches. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have to understand that this is God's design. Now follow me through that concept. The church is not man's church. Therefore, the church, man has no authority in the church. The church is God's church and Christ's body. And so many times we forget that. You want to know why there's so many denominations in our world today? It's because we've forgotten that it's God's church and not man's church. We've forgotten that man doesn't have authority. Man doesn't tell us how to conduct ourselves in the body of Christ. God tells us how to conduct ourselves in the body of Christ. And we must understand if we are going to be successful in being the body of Christ, members of that body, that we have to understand that it's God's church, not man's church. So what allows us to understand that? I have the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, really starting in verse 28. But I believe in ways to uh, properly use this section of Scripture, we have to go all the way back to chapter 12. And I want to bring out some points. First of all, in chapter 12 and verse 6, we see that God empowers. It's God that provides the power, not man. You see, the church doesn't flourish because the preacher's great. The church flourishes because God is great. You know when a church dies? It's when the preacher can't get out of God's way. When the elders can't get out of God's way. When the elders begin usurping authority even over biblical authority, even over God's authority. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 6, the text says, God empowers a variety of gifts. God empowers the variety of services or ministries, that Greek word diakonos there. It is God that powers, empowers the variety of activities. You see, these gifts and these activities and these services, listen to me, allow us to accomplish God's agenda, God's work. And if we cannot understand that God's empowering those things, and we are foolish enough to think that we are powering these things, we have to change who we are and our mindset in this time. Not only do we see that God empowers, but we see in chapter 12 and verse 18, God appointed or God arranged. Now, it's interesting as I was looking at this text, if you have your Bibles, please open up to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as, as I work through the text, as I try to pull out of the text what the text wants me to know, because that's always important, right? We want to pull out of the text what the text wants me to learn, not what I want to learn or previous opinions wants me to learn. It's a lot easier to throw my own opinions in it and learn something based on what I want to learn. But as I was working down through this text, I saw that in chapter 12 and verse 7. Sorry, verse 6. And he says, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all. And everyone, and I continued reading, and I'm reading this. Not only this is not my text, but I'm trying to get the context. And then I got to verse 18, and he says, But as it is, God arranged. The ESV uses the word arranged there. Some of your versions may say to set, uh, a point to. 
But God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, listen, as he chose. Now, isn't that interesting? When I think of God's church, and I think of the body of Christ, I need to not be fooled by the idea that it's ours, and that it's man appointing, and that it's man choosing. So I continued reading. So I found out that it's God that empowers. And that it's God that arranged. But look at verse 24. Which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed. So not only has God empowered. But God arranged and God composed. Now, isn't that right there in the text? He's telling us that it's God's. And I love this idea of how God composed the church. As Harold just explained to us how we're many members but individuals of one body and and how we each have a gift. How many of you are, are, raise your hand, how many of you are right-hand dominant? Raise your hand. That's pretty huge. Is that everybody? Okay, so have you ever hurt your left arm? I was playing football and dislocated my left elbow. And after I came to and realized what happened and realized that my two forearm bones were pushed up into my tricep and I was in excruciating pain, after I got the pain manageable, the first thought in my mind was, yes, it's my non-dominant hand. Until I realized when I had this arm in a sling for six weeks, how many times I used my non-dominant arm. How many times I used my non-dominant hand. Yeah, I could write, but I couldn't drive a manual anymore. And I couldn't do this, and I couldn't do that. And if I was lost my balance, I couldn't reach this arm out to catch myself. But in this text where he says in verse 24 of chapter 12, God composed. Listen, listen to what this means. Literally, it means that God mixed together the parts to work together synergistically. Now, this is incredible. When it says God composed the body the way he wanted it to be composed, the text says this. He says, man doesn't know what they need. I know what they need. And I'm going to mix them together with their gifts so the body of Christ will be successful. And then he uses that word synergy. Now, some of you know what that word means. For those of you who don't, this is what he's saying. Synergy is something like this. You have two horses. And each horse can pull 5,000 pounds, let's just say, for illustrative purposes. So this horse over here can pull 5,000 pounds, and this horse over here can pull 5,000 pounds. But you put a yoke around both of those horses, and together they can pull 15,000 pounds. See, that's synergy, and that's how God composed the church. You see, I know, I'm going to get in trouble. As it's been said before, COVID has messed the church up. There are people tomorrow that instead of meeting with the body will be at home. Now, I understand. Do not misunderstand me. There are those who maybe should stay home. There are those with health problems that have autoimmune deficiencies that if they get it will kill them. They have other health problems that if they get COVID will kill them. I'm not talking about those people. 
I'm talking about the fringe members who are using it as an excuse to stay home. Those are members who have gifts. I know they have gifts because I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that God gave them gifts. And by them staying home, guess who's not benefiting from their gifts? The members who were there. Now, I know that may not be a popular idea, but it's a biblical idea. And it's a biblical idea of saying God composed, mixed us together so we can work synergistically to accomplish the task of the body. I need the membership. I need you. In chapter 12 and verse 28, Paul uses something to transition from the body in Corinth to the body worldwide to the words he uses. Now hear what he says. He says, now you are the body. So that's speaking specifically to the church in Corinth of Christ and individually members of it. But look at verse 28. And God has appointed in the church... See how he changes the wording there? How he goes from, you are the body there in Corinth, but the church, God has what? Appointed. So not only has he empowered, not only has he arranged, not only has he composed, but God has appointed in the church. Now you want to tell me after reading those four verses whose church it is? Not one time does it say the preacher appointed. Not one time does it say the elders appointed. Not one time does it say in the scheme of the body of Christ has any man appointed these things in the church. But it's God who empowered. It's God who gave them the power to do what God wanted them to do. It's not of our own doing. Lest us not boast in ourselves but only boast in Christ, Paul says. It's not who we think we should be because we have these great gifts and, and we do have great gifts. So use them humbly for Christ, for the body, for the individuals that are made up of it. How God arranged and God composed and God appointed. Look what God appoints. As we work through this text, first of all, God's appointments in the church provided a unified foundation. Going back to the main theme, or one of the main themes in 1 Corinthians of divisions. Notice how he uses an example of divine unity. The same God, the same Lord, the same Spirit. Divine unity. And how he uses the unity of the body. And that's something that we all can understand today. You can look down right now and touch your right arm or your left arm or your right hands. And right now you're listening to me through your ears. And you're seeing me through your eyes. Have you ever had one of your senses taken away? I like to work on cars. And I love to mechanic on them and to wrench on them and try to make them better. Sometimes I don't make them better. I make them worse and trying to make them better. But it's a learning process. And there are sometimes you have an, a, a, a bolt that needs to go somewhere that you can't see. And if you're like me, you have a garage without a lift. If you have a lift, I don't like you. We're not friends anymore because I'm jealous of you. Not really. I like you. 
for the most part. But I would love to have a lift. I don't have a lift. So if I'm working on my car underneath it, guess where I'm at? On my back. And I like to work on trucks, four-wheel drive trucks. So when I'm laying on my back, my arm is only so big. And, and if I have a truck that sits up high enough, it's way up there. But you may be familiar with this idea. Sometimes when you take away one of your senses, another sense gets enhanced. So if I cannot see a bolt that I'm trying to put in, you know what I do? I close my eyes. Because what I'm doing is, and I'm tricking my body into thinking, I can't see. Now, I can't see it anyways, but what is my doing when my eyes are open? They're seeing everything else, and it's picking up sensory. But if I can close my eyes, I can use this sense of feel and touch a little more effectively. You see, in the church, it's the same way. And when God appointed these apostles, then secondly, these prophets, and third, these teachers, what he's doing is, is he is laying a unified foundation for the church. He's saying, listen, this is the standard. How is it the standard? Well, it's the standard, one, because they're apostles. They were sent out by Christ, and they witnessed Christ. You have the 12. You have the 12, including Matthias. And you have Paul, who was called and went and witnessed Christ in the wilderness. You have this idea of these men who can lay this foundation, who all know the same Christ. That's how you lay a unified foundation, right? The word same. Go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Look at what he says. Now there in verse 4, now there is a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God. See, unity. But in the body, we've lost unity. We've lost unity because we've forgotten the unified foundation in which God appointed in the church. You see, when, when, when Paul brought a message, it was the same message that James brought. And I love it. Going back to the tongue-in-cheek remark I made at the beginning, I do love working with Dan. Yes, it has its challenges. But that's in any work. But I love it. When somebody walks past my office and goes ask Dan a question, and maybe they're not happy with the biblical answer that Dan gives them. So maybe the next day they come knocking on my door. And guess what answer I give them? The same biblical answer. Not because of anything else, but because we're reading it from the same word of God. That's been given from the same prophet, the same apostles, the same teachers. And listen, church, if we can't become unified in today's world and our preachers that are filling our pulpits aren't preaching the only Bible, we're not going to be given the same message. We're going to be given all kinds of messages. Listen to me. Those of you who are training to be preachers, preach the gospel, not opinion. There's no time for that. And if you're preaching your opinion and I'm preaching my opinion, people are going to walk out of our buildings confused because they don't know what to believe. But if you preach the Bible and I preach the Bible, there's no longer confusion and we're of the same mind. 
God says, I appointed first apostles, second prophets, second or third teachers. We know that these are the foundational aspects of the church. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, we see that the apostles and prophets were what? The foundation of the church with Christ is the cornerstone. The unified foundation. That's what the church in Corinth needed was unity. And then he said, and I appointed teachers. I don't know all of the teachers. You can go back through and read through Acts and and know all the teachers. But I do know one there in Corinth by the name of Apollos. Now, some may believe Apollos was a prophet. Some may believe Apollos was an apostle because of the sense of the apostle being one sent out to proclaim the message of God. But if I go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I see a teaching aspect of Apollos. Remember when he says, I planted, and what did Apollos do? He watered. Isn't that teaching? Isn't that providing instruction so they can continue on? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19, we always go to that about being baptized. Well, we got to go into the nations and baptize. And we oftentimes forget the other aspects of what that means. Go, therefore, into all nations, making disciples. Teaching, right? That's what, how you make disciples. You teach them oh, what Christ is and who to follow. Baptizing them. And then Christ says what? Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's the foundation. The unified foundation of the church. The apostles. The prophets. And the teachers. And then he goes on and gives us another list. A smaller list than he gives us previously. Of these gifts, then he says, then gifts of healing, helping, leading or administrating or governing, depending on your version, and various kinds of tongues. What were those used for? What is your gift used for? As I continued learning Dan, and Dan continued learning me, We had to get over the competitive aspect. We had to stop competing and start complimenting. We had to realize, and I had to swallow my pride and say, yeah, it's okay. Dan can do things better than me. And Dan had to swallow his pride and say, yeah, Dustin can do things better than me. Not because I'm better, not because he's better, but because we have been given different gifts. That's what makes the body successful. You can't do it all. I know there are some greatly talented men in our brotherhood. I know that. But it's foolish to think we can do it all. It's foolish to think. And I was there. I remember. I remember graduating from Bear Valley. And everybody always asks, you know, what's the number one thing you ask at Bear Valley? What are you going to go do? And I was completely ignorant and foolish when I said, well, I'm going to go help my dad run his business and preach. You know, there's no such thing as a part-time minister, and there's no such thing as a part-time business owner. But I was young and invincible, and it got to a point in my life before I made a decision 
that I didn't want to even be a part of the church anymore. I didn't want to preach another lesson. I was tired. I was burnt out. Because I wasn't realizing there's other men that can do these things. I don't have to do it all. I don't have to have the gift of this, the gift of this, the gift of this, and the gift of this. I need to swallow my pride, start complimenting and stop competing, and reach out to my brothers in the brotherhood and say, I know you have an expertise at this. Can you help me with this? You know, that's one of the hardest things we have to say in the church. Can you help me with this? And you know why I know we have a problem in the church of this? Because this is what happens. We don't want to reach out. We would rather struggle through it ourselves. How many years have I had the mentality, it's easier for me to just do it than to help somebody else do it. It's easier for me to just plan it instead of help somebody else plan it. I am trying to be as transparent and honest with you as I can be this morning. When I was given this topic, I turned over real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I went, oh, man, why couldn't I have been given the section on love, right? That's what everybody, every, every preacher loves to preach on love. And then I'm looking at it, and I'm reading it, and I'm going, I don't even know what it means. I know why I was given this topic. Without a doubt, I know, because God knows I needed to study it. Because God looked at this and said, I know you need this, Dustin. You have to realize you're not all that. You have to realize and you have to lean on the body of Christ, the body that surrounds you. And that's what he leads up to. Look at what he says. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? And of course, in typical Pauline fashion, by no means. Remember at the end of uh, Romans chapter 5, I love it. Paul had a great sense of humor. You know he had a great sense of humor. And as he's asking these questions, you know, they're going, yeah, I, I think. Yeah? And Paul's sitting there going, no, by no means. You're not all apostles. You're not all prophets. You're not all teachers. He continues and says, do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. But here's the situation you're in, Corinth. Because you're so full of yourselves, you've divided yourselves because you've placed this gift as a greater value over this gift. And because you want this gift, and you think you should have his gift... There's division. There's factions among you. There's, listen, tell me this doesn't exist in the church today. There's resentment. How many times have you talked to a fellow preacher and they ask questions like, uh, how many lectureships have you spoke on this year? Uh, how many baptisms have you had this year? You know why they're asking that? Sometimes. They're asking that to see if they have spoken at more lectureships than you have. They're asking that because they're seeing if they've baptized more people than you have. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? He says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of y'all. 
That's what he would say if he was in Kentucky, y'all. I'm still trying to learn that word. It's a great word. I just don't always use it. But he's saying, that, you're missing the point. You have to stop competing and start complimenting. You have to tap into that composition and the arrangement and the appointment and the empowerment that God provides, not you. And look at what he says, and this is the part that got me. When you look at verse 28, and it says, And God has appointed. Go back up to verse 18 of chapter 12. That's the same word. So not only has God appointed apostles, prophets, teachers, and the gifts, but God also appointed the members in the body. Now, doesn't that all of a sudden cut us down to size? Because here's what happens in the church. The church always looks to the preacher. Right? We've seen that happen. You guys could shake your heads and let me know you're listening. Have you had that happen or am I alone on that? They look to the preacher. He's the one who has it figured out. And that's typical of a human being. I don't know if you guys remember the band Chicago. And if I were to ask you who the lead singer of Chicago was, you're going to say who? Peter Cetera. Right? Because Peter Cetera became the face of Chicago. Although Chicago was a band and they all contributed, Peter Cetera became the face. And the band didn't like it. Therefore, after Chicago 17, Peter Cetera left because basically he wanted his own power. He liked the power. And the band was tired of him being the face and not everybody being the face. But when I can understand that God appointed the gifts and that God appointed the preachers and the teachers and the elders and that God has placed in motion the body of Christ, it should cut me down to size, humiliate me and realize I am just a part of the body along with everybody sitting in the pews this morning. Along with everybody sitting in our pews, in our congregations at home. I'm part of the body just like the woman who comes into my office struggling because her husband's beating her. She's part of the same body I'm in. And just like when I hurt my elbow, that poor sister needs to be hugged. That poor sister needs to be set down with because she's a valuable asset to the body. And sometimes we don't know the gifts we have. Sometimes we kind of hide those gifts. I remember in 2014, Amanda, some of you know this, had a grand mal seizure. And I've never experienced that before. But I woke up on a Sunday morning at 5 o'clock to my wife convulsing. I didn't know what to think. And by the time it was all over, she had blood coming out of her mouth because she bit her tongue nearly in half. I'd never seen this before. I didn't know what was happening. And if you've ever seen somebody go through this, they go through what they call a post-excelic state afterwards, meaning literally the seizure wears them out so much that they're non-responsive. Have you ever looked at the person who you love most in your life and they look at you like they don't have a clue who you are? The weeks that followed that were chaotic. 
But there was a lady in the congregation there in Lander, where I was at the time, that called. That experienced her husband going through those. And her and I talked on the phone. Her gift was comforting me. And I am so grateful that she is a member of the body of Christ using her gift for me in that moment. You see, we have to get out of God's way. We have to say, okay, it's God that empowers, God that arranged, God that composed, and God that appointed. Therefore, I have to place myself in the scheme of things, in the body. And then he says this, earnestly desire the higher gifts. What are those higher gifts? Those are the gifts that allow us to do the common good in the church. How do I know that? Go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Look at what he says in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Listen, for the common good, the common good of the church. So when we earnestly desire these higher gifts, we're earnestly desiring the gifts that are going to allow the church to succeed, whether that's teaching, whether that's preaching, whether that's the gift of hospitality, whether that's the gift of love, the gift of faith, whatever the gift is. Earnestly desire those higher gifts, those gifts that he says in chapter 14, in verse 3, he says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people, look at, for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, for their comfort. I want to desire the higher gifts that allow me to be a part of the body so the body is successful the way God wants the body to be successful. I want to use my gifts to build the body up. I want to use my gifts to encourage the body. And I want to use your gifts to complement my gifts to encourage the body, to build the body up, to comfort the body. And together, we individually, members of one body, through the empowerment, through the arrangement, through the composition and through the appointments, we as a body of Christ will be successful in our world today. Amen. What a powerful, practical lesson. Everybody here has a gift. And God expects us to use those gifts. And when we do that, the church will be full and complete and can function as God wants it to function. Thank you so much, Dustin, for a fantastic lesson. Uh, Denny, is he around? Does he want to make any final comments? Uh, I don't guess he's here. Uh, of course, we will be taking a break. Uh, next session uh, is going to be at uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon, if I, my clock is right in terms of what time it is. Uh, We'll be uh, having uh, uh, sessions again starting at 2. A uh, number of uh, restaurants in the area, if you need some help finding one or uh, need to know where are good places to eat, uh, just ask some of us local folks who eat there a lot, and we'll uh, guide you to the right place. Let me close with a prayer, and uh, 
uh, when we'll take, I would say let's uh, be quiet. The others may not quite be out yet, although their time is up. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful that you have appointed various peoples and various gifts. We're thankful that you have set us where we are, and we pray that we can be used in your service. We pray, Father, that we'll accept each other's gifts, and that we'll look to the other to, find, to exalt them and to use their gift for the good of the church. We're grateful, of course, especially the fact that Jesus died for each of us, and therefore he died for the church. We're grateful that we can have forgiveness of sins and that we can be tools in your hand. We pray that you'll use each of us and that we will all be inspired by this message to take it back to our home congregations and demonstrate these great truths. We, act, we offer thanks, Father, for the food we're about to partake of, recognizing that all these good blessings come from you. We ask for forgiveness of sins that we may be more holy and precious in, in your sight because we're striving to be like you. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.